Well, hey, good morning, Wallace C. It's good to be with you again this morning. And I've been thinking about you this week and praying for you. And I'm looking forward to the day when we can all get back together again. And I've heard from a lot of you. I know you are too. Uh, but until then, it's pretty cool that we're able to still meet in this way and still connect. Uh, hey, I, I've been thinking too about some of you. You've never been to a service at Wawasee. You've just begun to connect with us online in recent weeks. And you need to know we're praying for you as well. We're glad that you can be with us. And uh, my hope would be that maybe one day after all this is over, you'd be able to join us again and uh, in person. And I would love to meet and connect with you. Well, uh, this week begins the beginning of Holy Week, and Christians all around the world celebrate this. Today is actually Palm Sunday, the day that Jesus marched into Jerusalem in preparation for his death and his burial and then his resurrection. And uh, even though we're not meeting together, we have a few things planned this week for you. First off, our director of kids ministry, Steph Brown, has found uh, and put together and, and we've put it online, a devotional for you, for you and your family, any of you with small kids. And uh, you can download this on our website. Just go to youareloved.church and there's a button right on the front page. And every day uh, there's a thing you can, a PDF you can print off. Every day there's something to read, a Bible passage to read, uh, some questions to ask, an activity to do together. Maybe you'd only do it one or two days, but I'd encourage you to check that out. It'll be up there for you to download all week. The other thing I want to let you know about is Good Friday. On Friday of this week, we're going to be trying something new as well. We're going to, uh, Pastor Dave and I will be here at the church, and we're going to broadcast live uh, from out in the commons at 6.30 p.m., and we would love for you to be a part of that. And uh, we're, we're planning some ways, hopefully we can interact with you. And uh, so plan to celebrate uh, Good Friday with us online this Friday at 6.30. And then last but not least, Sunday, best day ever at home. And that's the plan this month or this, this, this week and this time of year. Uh, we're going to celebrate Easter. We're going to celebrate Jesus' resurrection. And even though we're not in the same place, we're going to do that at home. And we have some fun things planned for that as well. So hope you can join us for all of those things. Well, today we're wrapping up a series that we've been in from Micah 6.8. And uh, we've been exploring a handful of things from that verse. I wonder, have you memorized it yet? Uh, why don't you try saying it with me right now? Micah 6.8, he has told you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to love mercy, or to do justice. See, get me right there, I got it wrong. To do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Well, a couple weeks ago, we talked about doing justice. And last week, Pastor Dave talked about loving mercy. And today, we're going to talk about walking humbly with God. We're called, friends, to walk humbly with God. Uh, see, that's what, that's what I, uh, Micah wrote. He says, he has told you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? 
Well, friends, if we're going to walk humbly with God, we should probably get a definition out on the table of what humility means, of what it means to be humble. Uh, maybe you've heard the riddle, right? Um, I, as soon as I think that I am, I'm not. What am I? Humility. Have you heard that before? Well, that's kind of true, but not entirely. And I think the biblical definition of humility would be something more like this. Humility is to know your place. It's to know your place. Humility is a right assessment of yourself. See, and here's, here's what the Bible teaches about who we are and, and, and who God is. Uh, it, it says that God is sovereign over all creation. And we are, of all his creation, we are honored above all of lower creation. And so in a sense then, uh, God is above us. We're below God, but we are humbly honored above all the rest of creation. This is humility. It's knowing my place. That's knowing my place in relationship to God, in relationship to creation. Uh, as it relates to other people, knowing my place means uh, knowing maybe um, my role in terms of authority. Uh, am, am I a leader in my organization? Am I somebody who supports the organization? What's my place? Humility is knowing my place and then living according to that. Well, pride, on the other hand, takes the wrong estimation of myself, and it says that I'm the greatest, that, that God is below me, and what he would say about me, it doesn't matter, it's really what I think, and lower creation, everything is all about me. And a lot of times when we think of pride, we think of people like with a big ego, right? Like, uh, they just need to be put in their place, humility. But, but really, pride is more than just having an estimation of myself that's way higher than everybody else. Pride is really just thinking too much about me. Because do you realize even depression can be pride? I don't know about you, but I've struggled with depression. And uh, in, in these days, I know many of us are, and, and pride can be simply thinking too much about me. It's putting me in the place of prominence in my thoughts and in my life. But humility, on the other hand, recognizes that, that God is the one who's totally in control, and he cares deeply about me. And he's put me in a place of humility before him and of honor above all creation. We're, friend, you're the crown jewel of his creation. So humility, simply defined, is knowing your place. Well, he has told you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. You know, we'll come back to some of these concepts in a little bit, but I think it's worth mentioning now that uh, first off, uh, we're to walk with God. It's a slow journey. It, it, we're all in process. It, it's going to take a lifetime moving forward, walking with God. Humility knows my place, knows that God's eternal, and he's got a plan that's much bigger than just this moment. And so I continue walking with him. And, and, and notice also it's, it's with your God. You know, friends, we're not designed to do life on our own. We're not to designed to do life totally independent from God or from other people. Uh, we're designed to do life with him. He'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. He always promises to be with us. And we're to be dependent on Jesus. In fact, we would even say we're to be interdependent with one another, 
dependent on Jesus and interdependent with one another. Uh, Check out our mission statement. We are sent to love people and invite them to follow Jesus. How? With us. With us. You know, if you're new joining us right now, we would love for you to follow Jesus with us. And, And that interdependence is what God has designed us It's how he's designed us to live, to be dependent on him and interdependent with one another. So I'd encourage you this week, Wednesday night, get on that Zoom call. If your life group is is connecting via Zoom, connect, reach out to people. Uh, You need interconnection. You need interdependence, especially in these days of isolation. Well, the call to walk humbly with God is is really pertinent right now. the entire, and, and here's why, the entire world over the last couple weeks has come to realize two things. Do you know what they are? Here, here's two truths that everyone has come to realize. Every person on this planet, and they're freaking out a little bit. First off, they've realized I'm not in control. Have you realized that this week? Maybe two weeks ago? If not, you'll realize it soon. I'm not in control. And then the second thing is this, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. I mean, everybody's realizing these things and they're freaking out a little bit. I'm not in control and I'm going to die. Well, if you're a follower of Jesus, though, you realize that these two truths are central to our faith in Jesus Christ. They're central to what the Bible teaches and to Christian belief and practice. So I think it's important as we talk about humility to talk about these two things, to know our place and to know I'm not in control and that, yeah, I I'm going to die. Well, we're called to walk humbly with God, first off, according to who he is. Which leads me back to that first point. I'm not in control. For weeks now, many of us have felt filled with anxiety. And and not being in control is a huge reason. Now, to be clear, uh, we do have some control of some things, right? Right? Like, I can decide what I'm going to have for lunch today. I can decide how much I'm going to have for lunch today. I can decide what time I'm going to wake up in the morning, what time I'm going to go to bed. I have, I have some control, and really I would, I would call that agency. But uh, oftentimes we confuse that limited control, that limited agency, with being totally in control, with, uh, with sovereignty. And, and the reality is uh, that my limited control, uh, and when I think I have ultimate control, it's only perceived control. And when it's just a perceived control, and then I realize I'm not in control, it causes anxiety. I I would recommend a book to you. You've got some time, right? Check out this book by Max Lucado. It's called Anxious for Nothing. And in this book, he, he puts out this point. He says, anxiety increases as perceived control diminishes. Think about that. I think he's right. Anxiety, our anxiety increases as our perceived control decreases. It's a short book, an easy read. And in the book, he goes on after making this point to reference a study about soldiers from World War II. He references this study to where psychologists studied the impact of combat on ground soldiers in World War II. Psychologists determined that after 60 days of continuous combat, the ground troops were essentially emotionally dead. 
It makes sense. They were always under the threat of bomb blitzes, machine guns, enemy snipers. It's not really surprising that the ground troops had a high sense of anxiety. I mean, they could be as easily killed standing still as they could running away. The thing that was surprising was not their sense of anxiety. The thing that was surprising was the lack of anxiety in another group of people, in the fighter pilots of World War II. See, in the fighter pilots, there was relative calm and they were relatively anxiety-free, even though their mortality rate was about 50%. It was among the highest of, of anybody going to war at that time. 50%. Like whether they live or die is the same, uh, uh, the same odds of whether or not uh, the Chiefs or the 49ers were going to win the toss and start with the ball at the Super Bowl. Yet... Uh, Psychologists found in their study that 50 per, or excuse me, 93% of them were happy with their assignments. They loved their job, even though their survival rate was so low. What's the difference between this group full of anxiety and this group who has a higher likelihood of being killed having little to no anxiety? Do you know what it is? It's perceived control. See, the fighter pilots, they had the throttle in their hand. Uh, they held their destiny in their hand. They, were, uh, they had this perception that they were in control of their own fate. But as I mentioned, those who were on the ground, the infantrymen, they, they were just as likely to die standing still as they were running away. And so that element of perceived control gave them less anxiety in the case of the fighter pilots. And I think, again, Lucado's right where he says anxiety increases as our perceived control diminishes. I wonder, uh, that that idea that they were emotionally dead, you know, crisis and trauma does this, especially when it's enduring, you know, like uh, living uh, life and having it suddenly rocked to where you don't know what's happening tomorrow. You don't know what the changes are going to be next week. Crisis, let's start with that. Crisis disrupts the normalcy of life. It requires us to think deeply. Crisis just kind of comes on us out of nowhere and it forces us to ask some questions of uh, where are we now? What's going to happen? Uh, How am I supposed to do e-learning for two more months? (laughs) Have you felt that this week? And after crisis hits, then we're left with trauma. And trauma, literally, it comes from a Greek word that means wound. And when you have trauma, it's this deeply distressing, disturbing experience. And I would contend that all of us are dealing with one crisis and two, a certain element of trauma in these days where everything has shifted on us. And we've realized we're no longer, uh, well, we've realized we've never really been in control. And our perceived control has diminished and our anxiety likely has increased. Uh, I mean, the entire globe is experiencing this. Everything has changed, especially in America in the last two to three weeks. And and everyone is experiencing it. I I don't know if you're familiar with a guy by the name of Chris Como. Chris Como is a journalist on CNN and he has a a midweek or a, a weekly primetime show. And uh, it came out this week that uh, he revealed that he had been diagnosed as positive with COVID-19. 
and he's told about uh, just the, the things he suffered through during all of this in terms of fever and sickness and anxiety and uh, being trapped at home in his basement with his family up above him. Well, one of the things you may not know is that his brother is the governor of New York, Andrew Como. And the two of them were the, are the son of a guy named Mario Como who had been the governor of New York. And you think of these people who are maybe so elite and have everything going for them, but you know what? Uh, they're in the midst of all of this as well. And they're facing trauma, and they're learning their place, that they're not in control. In fact, check this out. Uh, Governor Como, Andrew, this guy over here, said this about his brother in a news conference this week. He said, we're talking about my little brother, the governor said when asked about his sickness. He goes, this is my best friend. He said, I talked to him several times a day. It's frightening because there's nothing I can do. He said, I, literally, here, a quote, I'm out of control. Do you feel out of control? Well, here's the deal. You're not in control. I'm not in control. So what do you do when you realize you're out of control? Well, a lot of times we try to control everything. It, but you can't do that. I mean, are you just going to go through life where you never board a plane without also wearing a parachute? Or you, you never go into a restaurant with also bringing your own clean silverware? Where you, you never leave the house without a, a mask? You, you, you would never make it through life. You can't control everything. You're out of control. But the, the crazy thing is, is that we, we tend to face anxiety by trying to take control of things. If only we could. I mean, you can accumulate millions of dollars and still have it vanish in an instant. A health fanatic can eat only like nuts and uh, green, what do you call that green stuff? Oh yeah, salad, you know, all that, you know, just healthy food all the time and they can still develop cancer and die. A hermit can avoid all human contact and still struggle with insomnia. We want control, we want certainty, but the only certainty is the lack of it. See, I don't know about you, but I've, it's become so clear. I'm not in control. But guess what? Jesus is in control. See, when I walk humbly, I know my place that, that God, I'm not in control, but Jesus, you are in control. Jesus is. God's answer for, answer for troubled times has always been the same. Do you know what it is? Heaven's throne is occupied. Heaven's throne's occupied. Jesus is in control. He's seated on the throne. Uh, th this was a message that God gave to the prophet Isaiah. Uh, Isaiah was uh, living at a time where all of his life there had been the same king, a guy by the name Uzziah. And U Uzziah, he was far from perfect, but he was a good leader, and he ruled as king for 52 years, uh, keeping the society from attack by its enemies. But then as you open up Isaiah, you find out Uzziah died. In fact, uh, look at this in Isaiah chapter 6. Uh, Isaiah wrote this, In the year King Uzziah died. I mean, Isaiah had to be thinking, what's going to happen to everybody now that he's dead? Remember, the, these guys in the Bible, uh, God used them, but they're real people. They struggled with anxiety and uncertainty and realizing they're not in control just like you and I do. 
And suddenly now things seem out of control. What are we going to do that Uzziah's dead? I mean, or in your case, what are you going to do now that your job is gone? What are you going to do now that you're not going back to school? What are you going to do now that uh, you might get sick? Well, here's what God said to Isaiah. In the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, Isaiah writes, sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And above it stood seraphim, each, with, each one had six wings, and with two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. Uh, these, these beings always going around worshiping the Lord, worshiping Jesus around his throne. And one cried to another, and he said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. See, Uzziah's throne was empty. The throne of heaven wasn't. It was occupied. Uzziah was dead. But I believe the person that, that Isaiah sees on the throne in this vision is Jesus. Jesus was alive and is alive. Uh, everything on earth might have seemed out of control, but the reality was Jesus was on his throne, alive and in control. Friends, that's a good word for us today. To know our place, that yes, I might be out of control, but Jesus is in control. And the next time I fear the future, like, I don't know, maybe later this afternoon, I can rest in God's sovereignty that Jesus is in control. Look at this, what Paul writes about Jesus being in control. He says this about Jesus. He says, Jesus Christ is the exact likeness of God. In other words, he is God who can't be seen. He is first. He's over all creation. All things were created by him. He, he created everything in heaven and on earth. He created everything that can be seen, everything that can't be seen. He created kings and powers and rulers and authorities. Everything was created by him and for him. Before anything was created, he was already there. And check out this last line. And he holds everything together. Friends, I'm not in control. You're not in control, but Jesus is in control. See, if, uh, if Lucado's right, and I think he is, that anxiety increases as our perceived control decreases, then I would come back and say to you that uh, anxiety decreases as our trust in Jesus increases. Friend, look to him. Look to him. From your place of, of humble honor, look to the one who's on the throne, who's totally in control. None of this has caught him by surprise, and neither has your circumstance. See, uh, these two things, I'm not in control. Uh, let's go on to the next one. I'm going to die. Uh, I'm going to die. Have you thought about that recently? I don't know about you, but I think most people have probably, including me, have maybe thought more about that in the last couple of weeks than, than in quite a while. I mean, what if this escalates to the way that they say it might? What if I get the virus? What if someone in my family does? What if, and you go down the road? See, I'm not in control, and I'm, I'm going to die at some point. We're called to walk humbly with God according to who he is and who he's made us to be. Walking humbly with him recognizes that he's in control. I'm not, but he is. And, and it also causes me to be dependent on him, 
knowing my place, knowing that, that one day I'm going to die. See, every person who's ever lived uh, experiences birth and death a total of three times. Like, that's weird math, Josh. Birth, death, that seems like two. What do you mean three? Well, uh, think of it with me. Uh, first off, everyone uh, is born. Everyone's life begins. And then next, everyone's life ends. Everyone dies. But I said a total of three. See, the reality is that this third one, you get to choose which of these two you'll experience again. You get to choose. See, if, if you're born only once, you're going to die twice. Here's what I mean by that. The, the Bible is clear that uh, there's, there's physical death, but then there's also spiritual death. And if, if you die apart from having trusted Jesus Christ, you won't experience only physical death, but Jesus himself was clear, you'll experience uh, spiritual death or what the Bible describes as the second death. Friend, that's uh, you uh, or me uh, paying the penalty for my sin, suffering under God's wrath for sin for eternity. But do you want to to know some good news? You you get to choose that third one. See, because if you're born twice, you only die once, just physical death. And then instead of spiritual death, you get spiritual, eternal life. You're like, that's strange. Well, Jesus actually told this to a guy named Nicodemus one time. Nicodemus was a pastor in in a sense. He was a religious leader of his day. And Nicodemus uh, came to Jesus and, and asked about how in the world he could be saved, how he would see the kingdom of God. And look at what Jesus says to him. He goes, what I'm about to tell you is true, Nicodemus. No one can see God's kingdom without being born, what's the word? Again. A second time being made new because of Jesus' work and because of belief in him. See, uh, Nicodemus, maybe like you're feeling right now, you're like, what what do you mean, born twice? How does that happen? How is that even possible? Well, uh, give me a minute and I'll show you what Jesus says. See, because you and I, we are going to die once, but Jesus defeated death. See, there's another account in John a little later where Jesus' friend Uh, Lazarus, a close friend of him, he gets word that Lazarus is sick. And uh, Jesus, when he finally makes it to Lazarus' house, he finds out that Lazarus has died. And uh, his sister Martha comes running out to meet him. And and here's what she says. Uh, She she heard that Jesus was coming. She went to meet him. But Mary, her her sister, remained in the house. And then Martha said to him, Lord, if, if you had only been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Where were you? But then we see her faith. Even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And Jesus looked at her. He said, Martha, your brother will rise again. I know he's died, but he'll live again. And Martha goes, yeah, I know. In the end, everyone's going to rise again at the resurrection on the last day. And then Jesus looked at her, I think with just great compassion. And he said this, he said, Martha, I am the resurrection, and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. So, so how are you born a second time to answer Nicodemus's question? Well, the one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. The one who believes in me. 
That's how you're born again, friend. It's putting your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ. And there's a change that happens in you. You become a new creation and it's, it's a spiritual birth. And that's why this phrase of being born again, Jesus uses that. It's like, it's brand new life. And then he says this, everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. There he's speaking of spiritual death, that second death, they'll only die once. And they're born again to live with me forever. And then he looks at Martha and he says, Martha, do you believe this? Friend, that's the question of your lifetime, of my lifetime. Do you believe this? See, because if you believe this, uh, then you're born twice and you'll only die once. But if not, then you've been born once and you will die. And then you'll experience spiritual death under God's wrath for eternity. And that's a whole lot worse than the coronavirus. Friend, trust him. You know, a couple weeks ago, if I would have asked you the question, are you prepared to die? That would have been kind of a morbid thought, wouldn't it? I mean, you may have either thought, oh, there's that preacher guy talking about life and death again, or you would have just kind of wrote it off as not a big deal. Yeah, 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 no big deal. But I wonder, how does that question hit you today? Are you prepared to die? Everyone is born once. Everyone dies once. But what's after that? See, uh, I wonder, have, have you trusted Jesus yet and been born twice so that when you die, it's only once? Or do you have yet to trust him? Friend, it's the question of your lifetime. Do you believe this? trust him. If you have trusted him, then the question is, how are you going to live the rest of your life knowing that it could be short, especially in light of all the uncertainty around us? Well, uh, C.S. Lewis, an author and uh, theologian from decades past, wrote this 72 years ago about the atomic bomb. And uh, as I write, the, as I read this, excuse me, you, you can just insert coronavirus or whatever uh, other uh, chaos is happening in your life in place of atomic bomb, okay? Here's what he writes. He said, in one way, we think a great deal too much about the atomic bomb. How are we to live in an atomic age? I'm tempted to reply, he writes, why, you should live just as you would have lived in the 16th century when the plague visited London almost every year, as you would have lived in a Viking age when raiders from Scandinavia might land and cut your throat at any night. Indeed, as you're already living in the age of, of cancer, an age of syphilis, an age of paralysis, an age of air raids, an age of railway accidents, an age of motor accidents, in other words, he writes, do not let us begin by exaggerating the novelty of our situation. See, Lewis recognized that he wasn't in control. He also recognized uh, he was going to die. He goes on and says this, Believe me, dear sir or madam, you and all who you, whom you love were already sentenced to death before the atomic bomb was invented. And quite a high percentage of us were going to die in unpleasant ways. We had indeed one very great advantage over our ancestors. We had anesthetics, but we still were going to die. 
it's perfectly ridiculous to go about the rest of your life whimpering and drawing long faces because the scientists have added one more chance of painful and premature death to a world which already bristled with such chances and in which death itself was not a chance at all, but a certainty. Friends, I'm not in control. You're not in control, but Jesus is in control. Friends, I'm going to die, you're going to die, but Jesus has defeated death and you don't have to die twice. That's why Micah's words are, are so applicable to us today that he's shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly, knowing your place and knowing God's place and walking humbly with your God. As we close, uh, let's pray. And uh, you can just bow your heads right where you're at and close your eyes and, and pray with me. Father, we thank you that Jesus is in control. We thank you that in this day that seems full of chaos and uncertainty, where our perceived control has been ripped away, that Jesus, you're still on the throne and you're sitting with your feet up, unworried and not caught off guard. And Lord, uh, we know too that, that one day we will die, whether it's from a virus like the one that's ravaging the world right now or from uh, any other number of calamities. One day, because of our sin, we will die. But Jesus, we know that you've defeated death and that anyone who believes in you, even though he dies, will live. For those of you who are watching right now, uh, if, if you're someone and you would say, you know what, I've been born once, I know I'm going to die once, I don't want to die again after that and spend eternity in hell for my sin. The good news is this, that, that the way that you're born again is simply believing in Jesus Christ. That's what he said. You can take him at his word. He said, if anyone simply believes in me, even though he dies, he will live. She will live. Do you believe this? Friend, if that's you, it's, it's very simple. You can simply pray to the Lord. Uh, Lord, uh, I'm a sinner. I need a savior. Jesus, I believe. Save me. He, he promises that he will save you. Listen, if that's you, even on the screen right now, there's, there's just a, a button popping up where, where you can, if you're watching this live, let us know that you would like to commit your life to Jesus. And whether you're watching this live or not, you can, you can press that button below me on the screen right now that, that says request prayer. And we would love to know about that and pray about that with you and help you understand that more fully. It's the question of your lifetime. Father, we thank you for Jesus. We know you're in control. And we look forward to life with you eternally. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.